Chapter 23, Closing the Real Estate Transaction. The real estate transaction concludes with the closing of the real estate transaction. And at the closing, the major event is the seller is to deliver marketable title and the buyer is to deliver dollars. Uh, but there are a lot other issues and a lot of other uh, considerations uh, that go into the actual closing. Those are the two big events. Um, the centerpiece then of the closing of the transaction then is, th th is that all the costs and the expenses, monies received, monies to be paid for all the parties that are involved in the transaction are accounted for. This includes uh, monies between the seller and the buyer, money between the, the buyer and the lender, uh, the title company charges, uh, real estate agents, the commissions, and of course attorney's fees. From the buyer's perspective, what are their major issues or their major concerns? The first is going to be that they're going to get good marketable title. Uh, and so they're going to need some title evidence. They're going to need some proof that what they, are in fact, are getting is marketable title before they pay their money to the seller. Buyers are also going to be concerned about <coughs> the deed he's going to get from sellers. Uh, A, is it properly prepared? And B, does it have the particular information that he needs on the deed? Uh, is the form of deed the correct deed? Is it a warranty deed? Is he requested? And, and how does it say he's taking title? So those will be a big concern with the, when, the, when the buyer reviews seller's deed for accuracy and for its correct form. The buyer is going to look for any documents that will release any of seller's liens, owner's liens, if, the, if, if any are on record and can be released. Uh, he'll ask for documents showing that they, in fact, have been released to public records. He'll look for a survey will, a picture of the uh, parcel itself. The big interesting thing that he's going to be looking for with the survey is to see if there's any easements or any encroachments, either his property encroaching on somebody else's or somebody else's property encroaching on his. So he'll ask the seller to give him a recent survey. The buyer is going to look for inspection results. If he had, for instance, environmental inspections or if there was some mitigation that had to be done, maybe radon or lead-based paint. He'll want to make sure he has the inspection results and all the compliance forms there at closing so he's sure that, that they've been uh, remediated. Uh, the buyer will probably do a walkthrough before closing. In particular, he's going to be looking for, as he walks through the property, and any repairs that the seller had agreed to make. If the property has leases on it, say it's an investment property uh, with a multifamily investment property, uh, the buyer is going to want to make sure that he sees the actual leases. If he hasn't already, which he probably should have got them already, but if he hasn't, he's going to want to see the actual leases and take one final look at them to make sure that they are valid leases, uh, when they're set to expire, and what the uh, rental rates are on those, if that's what in fact, the seller had disclosed him if that's what he uh, sees on the actual leases themselves so he can justify any uh, income that he's expecting to get on the leases for a multifamily building. What will be the seller's issues? 
uh, or what will seller be bringing to waylay the buyer's issues that we just talked about? Well, the seller is going to bring a deed to convey the real property to the purchaser. And the seller is also going to bring a bill of sale to convey any personal property that they agreed to. Seller is going to bring a title policy, which is the usual form of title evidence that sellers here in Illinois bring in any event. And the title insurance policy will, if you will, guarantee or ensure that the purchaser is getting good or marketable title, which is what he requested. Uh, the seller will be bringing an affidavit, affidavit of title, which basically is a piece of paper that says, since the day I ordered title evidence and uh, the title insurance company started investigating uh, title on this parcel, since that time until the very second we're closing here, my affidavit of title ensures to the buyer that I have done nothing to encumber the property or put any other liens on the property that uh, he's not aware of. Of course, we'll get that survey. As we mentioned, the buyer wants to make sure uh, that the property is not encroaching or other parcels are encroaching on his property or a fence line that a fence that he has isn't encroaching on somebody else's par a parcel and see if there's any easements uh, that he should be aware of. And so uh, he'll, he'll get that survey uh, from the seller. Uh, again, the seller's going to bring the results of any inspections that he, re he was requested and required to make. Uh, he'll bring some actual proof of repairs, actual receipts. It's going to be one thing that the buyer's going to go to the house prior to this through a walkthrough and see that repairs have been made. But now we want to make sure that these repairs were in fact paid for and exactly what was repaired. And then of course there will be paid receipts, uh, water bills, transfer tax stamps. Uh, the seller is responsible for buying those transfer tax stamps and of course paying uh, the utilities uh, for the day of closing. The big utility is the water bill because if the water bill isn't paid, you can't get transfer tax stamps. If you can't get transfer tax stamps, you can't record the deed. If you can't do that, there's going to be a problem at closing. And of course, what we've all been waiting for since chapter one of this book until chapter 23, what this, this whole thing has been about is getting licensed so you can pick up that commission check. In Illinois, we our closing process is called a face-to-face -face closing, which simply means everybody sits around the table, they can see each, other fa each other's faces, and they close the real estate deal. Typically, it's at a title company. Sometimes it'll be at, uh, at attorney's offices. Uh, and we have sitting around a table, face-to-face, -face, the sellers, sellers' attorneys, uh, agents are often there, and of course, the the, uh, the quarterback of our face-to-face -face closing would be the title insurance closing officer. The other typical way closings are done, are conducted, are what are called closing in escrow. Typically, this isn't found in Illinois. Uh, you always hear, if you watch television, and they're talking about California real estate sales, they always talk about that they've 
cleared closing or they've cleared escrow. Uh, they close this way in, uh, in, in California. Closing an escrow is where we have a uh, disinterested third party, uh, which is basically an escrow officer. And for the sake of argument, the escrow officer would be sort of an agent of both the seller and the buyer. The escrow officer serves as sort of a referee. Uh, all documents, uh, starting with the sales contract, are deposited with the escrow officer. And the escrow officer uses that sales contract as sort of a, uh, a rule book and makes sure all parties have done exactly what they're supposed to do under that sales contract. And then when all parties do that, they notify them and say that they're at their contract and, and has cleared escrow. So the escrow officer will hold all documents and then when everyone has, has done what they're supposed to do, uh, he or she will then send all the documents via mail or you can pick them up as well uh, to the parties. But technically from the time uh, uh, the, uh, the property has quote cleared escrow, uh, title is conveyed. Now what exactly is your role at closing as a real estate licensee? Basically your, your role at closing is to sit there quietly and uh, collect your commission check in a nutshell. Uh, be careful when you're sitting at closing that you don't uh, start talking and, and answering questions uh, to your uh, seller or to your buyer uh, that are starting to encroach on illegal practice of law or uh, practice or encroach onto the title company, uh, uh, the title company's uh, uh, responsibilities and the title company representative there. So uh, try to be helpful and courteous, but uh, be, be careful of uh, things you say. You're not to be giving uh, any advice or counsel that, that could be uh, construed as being uh, legal. Now RESPA, the Real Estate Settlement Procedures Act on 471, uh, really is a, it's a national act that regulates, if you will, residential closings. This is the way we have uniformity throughout the country in uh, the documents that are to appear at closing. And uh, RESPA uh, does a couple of other things besides giving us some uniformity uh, throughout the country. Uh, it helps protect sellers and particularly buyers and borrowers in a real estate transaction by making sure everyone knows exactly where the money came from and where it's going to go. So the Real Estate Settlement Procedures Act then is designed to protect consumers against, primarily against abusive lending practices uh, by requiring certain disclosures. Uh, it provides details on all of the costs attributable to the transaction. And we're going to see we do that through a form called the HUD-1 Closing Statement. Again, RESPA, we're talking about residential uh, closings, not commercial closings. They do not, uh, commercial closings are not affected by RESPA. Uh, the other benefit to RESPA is it helps eliminate kickbacks and referral fees between parties. 
Um, in the old days, sometimes uh, the buyer would be working with their agent and they'd want to know where they should go get their loan. The buyer would say, all of our people get our loans over at XYZ Mortgage Loan Company uh, or with the seller, perhaps they might recommend a certain appraiser or a certain home inspector. And of course, each time that appraiser, home inspector, or loan officer got a referral from a broker, would send them a, a referral check, <coughs> attorneys as well. So this is uh, prohibited. And one way we can uh, identify if this is taking place is to make sure that these, if there are any referral fees or kickbacks, that they uh, appear on the uh, closing statement. That way, uh, at least sellers and buyers would be given disclosure of these referral fees. So these are sort of under-the-table referral fees that were going on. And RESPA helps eliminate that so that sellers and buyers are aware of all the costs in the transaction and who's getting paid. RESPA applies to federally related mortgage loans, first liens, first, first money mortgages, residential properties, one to four units, not commercial, uh, second or subordinate home equity loans, and assumed loans if there's an assumption fee involved with the assumed loan. RESPA disclosures. Uh, RESPA requires a special information booklet be given to a, buy, a, a, a buyer borrower. The special information booklet basically takes the HUD-1 closing statement, there it is, HUD-1 form on page 487. The special information booklet basically takes the HUD-1 form and breaks it down line by line. What's supposed to happen is the buyer borrower is supposed to read through the information booklet. So when he gets before closing, and when he gets to closing, he sees the HUD-1 form, he'll know what all of the lines in there mean and where all that money came from and where it's going. I'm not sure that really happens, but that's what the information booklet is supposed to do as relates to the buyer borrower getting the HUD-1 form at closing. And then in between that, we have this thing called a good faith estimate. Uh, right now, if you are a if you've applied for a loan within three business days of applying making a loan application, uh, the loan officer needs to give you a GFE good faith estimate of closing. It's sort of a guesstimate, so you can have some idea what it's going to cost you to close a particular loan based on a, a sale price or probable sale price or a guesstimated sale price of properties that you're going to start looking at. So the good faith estimate is the loan officer. Typically, the loan officers give these good faith estimates right there while you're at uh, applying for the loan. Uh, they'll give it to you before they leave. They type it up and print it out, and they give it to you, and you're on your way. But they must give it to you within three days, business days, of making your loan application. Since we just discussed the HUD-1 form, let's uh, jump ahead to page 487, and there is the form. It's uh, three pages, 487 through 489. We'll show you all the different parts of the settlement statement form. Uh, so uh, throughout the country, anyone purchasing or refinancing a one-to-four family residential unit will have to have this HUD-1 form completed. It's completed by the lender or by the title company. Uh, it lists the costs and fees incurred with financing the home. Uh, it lists all of the uh, costs and fees uh, between the seller and the buyer or just for the seller or just for the buyer. Uh, the uh, parties to the transaction are required to get a copy or have one available at least one day prior to closing, although probably most of the time most individuals first see this at, at closing. 
Um, and uh, if you have questions on the HUD-1 form as you're sitting at a closing um, for the seller or the buyer, uh, best to ask the, the, the uh, title company, uh, the closing officer, or one of the attorneys. Uh, I suspect most real estate brokers uh, can answer some of the questions here because as long as you're not coming up with the actual dollars to just explain what goes in a, in, in a different line. And that's why, as a real estate agent, you might want to keep a copy of that settlement booklet that we were talking about. And that way, if somebody does ask you a question closing, just refer to that booklet and you can answer, you know, what's on uh, Section J, Line 102, what does that mean? Uh, and uh, so it would be good reference material for you too. Also, at our closings throughout the country, uh, IRS Form 1099-S needs, needs to be completed. So here we have a, a real estate, uh, if you will, uh, a tax form on the real estate transaction that, uh, that needs to be uh, uh, completed by someone in the real estate transaction. Typically, uh, the 1099 form is um, completed by the uh, title company. If not by the title company, it should be completed by the lender. And if the lender doesn't do it, then it does fall on the responsibility of the real estate broker to have the 1099-S form. So you might want to be familiar with that form just so you know what it's about. You as an agent will fill it out. Your, your real estate broker would fill it out. But we do have to have this. Uh, that 1099 form uh, is, uh, is one where we let the federal government know uh, of a real estate transaction that we've had. There are some exceptions to this form, but uh, we're not going to get you know, in too, in too detailed about the 1099S form. But do know that uh, typically these have to be uh, completed in most real residential real estate transactions by someone. Now in completing that HUD-1 closing statement that we just saw, there are two things we have to be able to do. One is we have to compute the prorations, and we'll show you how to do that in a second. So to coming up with the actual dollar amounts. And then after we get the dollar amounts for our closing statements, we have to determine whether or not we're going to put them in the debit column or the credit column. So our first rule is if you want to give some, if you want to take money away from someone, we debit them. And if you want to give them money, we credit them. So the each party, buyer-seller, has a debit column and a credit column, and we'll go through each of the prorations, and if this is money that should uh, go to the buyer, we'll credit him. If it should go to the seller, we'll credit him. If it should come from the buyer, if the buyer has to pay it, we'll debit him. And if the seller has to pay it, we'll debit him. So debit takes money away, credit gives the party the money. Now we learned a little something about the debiting and crediting. Now let's talk about accrued expenses and prepaid expenses. First, let's talk about accrued expenses. <coughs> accrued expenses are simply expenses that are debts that are due from usually the seller, sometimes the buyer, but usually they're accrued expenses that the seller owes but has not paid yet. An example of an accrued expense would be current year's property taxes. On our day of closing, let's say it's 2014, on that day of closing, someone has to account for the 2014 property taxes. Now, the 2014 property taxes aren't going to get paid until next year, 2015, which is when they're due. 
So the seller owes 2014 property taxes due in 2015 from January 1 to that day of closing. So these would be considered an accrued expense, one that is due, in this case, by the seller, but has not yet been paid. Okay, let's do this tax proration. Uh, we have uh, a closing date on a home. It'll be April 12th of 2014. We don't know what the taxes are going to be for 2014 total. Uh, because sometimes they change during the year. They're increased probably. But we can use the last known tax bill as a way of computing taxes. And then sometimes they actually add a little fudge factor to it. But for our purposes, we'll use the last tax bill that we know. <coughs> so in 2013, the taxes paid in 2014 were $7,200, and they've been paid. So now we've got to prorate the 2014 taxes that are going to be due next year in 2015. And of course, buyer is going to be living on the property in 2015, so we have to give him our share of this year's taxes. Okay, we talked a little bit about accrued expenses. All right, we just talked about accrued expenses. Those would be expenses that were due and owing but haven't been paid. What about prepaid expenses? Prepaid expenses are expenses that have been already paid by the seller, and now he should be reimbursed for underage or for amounts that weren't used uh, based on what he prepaid. Uh, an example might be a water bill. In this case, we paid our water bill in advance for the current quarter. So how this would look is... Uh, Mr. Steven, Steven sold his home on November 20th of this year. He prepaid the last quarterly water bill of $300 on September 31 for the period that covered October 1 to December 31. What was the prorated water bill the buyer owed Mr. Steven? So I usually draw timelines on this so I know what I'm doing here. So based on our problem here, if we draw a timeline, just say January 1 to December 31, we have closing on November 20th. The water bill was paid from October 1 through December 31. So there's going to be a period of time after closing that buyer is going to benefit from something re we prepaid. So buyer's got to reimburse the seller from November 20th to December 31 for a prepaid water bill. And what we do, of course, is we take the $300, which is the quarterly bill from October 1 to December 31. We know that's 90 days because every month is 30 days in statutory land. If we divide 300 by 90, that's $3.33 a day. From November 20th, day of closing, to the end of the period of time that of the prepayment would be a period of time for the prepayment would be 41 days. 41 days times $3.33 a day, we would be crediting the seller $136.67. We're going to give it back to the seller. We're going to credit him. And we're going to debit the buyer for the same amount. Some proration rules. As we've said, we're going to use the statutory method, which is every month is 30 days, and the statutory year is 360 days. The day of closing is a day of expense to the seller. The day of closing is also a day of income to the seller. For instance, if there were, let's say there were rentals that were due, the rentals for the day of closing would go to the seller. The day of closing is a day of interest expense to the buyer. 
So when the buyer gets his mortgage loan, he will, as of the day of closing, start paying interest on that loan. And that will do it for Chapter 23. Uh, don't forget in your uh, student support site, uh, there are some good reviews there for your exams. One is a review for the final exam. So before you take your final exam, why don't you take that? I think it's 150 uh, multiple choice questions that will help prep you for the final exam. So that's a good way to prepare before you take your state exam. Good luck. Thank you for sitting through all these chapters with me.